They shoot the shit. They shoot, they shoot the shit. Shoot, 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 shit, shit, shit. Shooting the shit with Chippa. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Shooting the Shit with Chippa. Um, before I get my guests on, I want to just do a little bit of quick housekeeping. I'd like to thank my $15 or more a month patrons. They are Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, Hugh K. Campbell Jr., Alex Peregrine, Kevin CV, Mike the Gatherer, Tyler Freshcorn, and Mark Price. And my newest patrons as of this recording are Jesse, Curtis Tunsky, Sarah Montgomery, and Jordan Barnes. And today's show, like a lot of my shows, are brought to you by the Geeks with Shields podcast. Each week, hosts Axel and Ulrich provide a nerdy escape from the darkest timeline, talking everything from comics to long-forgotten movies and TV shows. If the darkest timeline has you down, check out the Geeks with Shields podcast for all your nerdy needs and the darkest timeline has for sure been with us for the beginning of 2020, hasn't it, guys? Oh, my, my heart, Chris. That was so... Oh, I, I hadn't heard that. <laughs> that was so oh, really? Shame, sir. I'm sorry. Like I said, I haven't... Uh, I've been really... Anyway, not the point. But yes, you are absolutely right. I only just found out like two days ago that a third of Australia is on fire. So you, You're lucky bastard. That's just been like... Okay, we joked that the world was on fire, and now a portion of it is literally on fire. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I looked it up. It is literally a third of that island by by volume. So <laughs> a, co- a co-worker of mine, his son or daughter were just in New Zealand, and they were on the part of New Zealand that's the closest to Australia, which is still 2,200 miles away, and you couldn't see through the smoke in New Zealand. It's a tragedy. Oh, and I... Uh... Anyway, yeah. darkest timeline stuff, exactly. Point is, hi, Geeks with Shields here, the people that Chris just talked about. And Chris, thank you for having us. Because nepotism runs rampant here, folks. <laughs> That's what you say, but it's been like a year since we've been here. It has been, <laughs> well, technically. The I, li- I like the uh, keg in the corner. That's nice. Yes, well, it, it's funny. I can now project the keg um, using the force like like a lightsaber. Where's and my death there's... And yet, there's still no death ray. You beat me to it, damn it! You bastard. Death ray is always on the mind. Friggin' death ray. <laughs> anyway, how, hey, how you, you, how you only get bothered by it so much, or it gets me every time. So, 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 so I've been on your show a bunch. You guys haven't been on mine since I think October. Um, it was longer than that. I thought. What was the last thing we did a Warhammer thing, right? Yeah, we, we was that, came on for Warhammer. Was that longer ago than October? Yes. My God. All right. Well, that was a great episode, and we're going to do more of that. Um, so we, so I, I don't want to blow your thing, uh, but you know, that book club, is that a legit thing? Yes. It's just okay, that good. it's been in the works for a while, but getting the, so yeah, me and Ulrich Planet do basically a, a book club where we find like a, a book that is particularly interesting. And we do kind of like, a uh, we, we do, we say echo log cause we're not video. So it's not a vlog and I like echo log because I'm a Borderlands fan. So yes. Yeah, so just like an echo log about, you know, sets of chapters and stuff. And we've been planning it for a while, but it just hasn't hasn't happened yet. But yes, it's still planned. Good. Cause yeah, I, as of today, the patrons voted they do want the book club. So we're going to start trying to get that rolling as soon as we can figure out how that's going to work. Cool, because I own the book now. So I just wanted to make sure if I started reading it that I wasn't, you know, wasting my time. That's all. Oh, it's a good book. You're not going to waste your time either way. Cool, cool. I, I wasn't sure. All right, so... uh yeah, so we, we were talking right before I hit record and figured I'd put it um, on record instead of just having it being out there in Twitter because we all know that Twitter isn't public record, according to some. 
<clears throat> but um, I, you know, you guys did an episode on it, so I don't need you to to blow your stuff because that was a patron only thing. But for folks to hear, um, I was going to quickly go down. I did a top five of every year of the last decade. And figured I would say them and let you guys react because I'm sure you'll have reactions. And what's cool about this is it's longer than I've been on Twitter. So hmm. there you go. All right. <laughs> so you guys ready for that? And and I, I can start off by pissing off Ulrich because I realized one of my top fives of 2010 was Scott Pilgrim versus the World, his yes! least favorite. Fuck <laughs> that it's like my third favorite movie, movie of all time. So <laughs> it's it's my happy place movie, and it makes me feel like if we ever meet in person, that we're going to be less good friends because there's going to be something that like, why is that my happy place movie? And yet it makes you so unhappy. You're a hey, Patriots fan. We're already off on the wrong foot. It, in all fairness, Ulrich's distaste for it is largely due to um, like thematic and tonal kind of things, not the movie. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, sorry. So Scott Pilgrim versus the World, True Grit, Let Me In, Inception, and The Fighter. The Fighter's amazing. And the fight. Ah, I, I I haven't been keeping records since 2010, but I don't know if any of those would have made it to my number one. I know Inception. I really liked the year I saw it, but so yeah, the fighter's the movie that made me respect like Christian Bale. Like I know that he had career before that, but I had a bad taste in my mouth because of how he plays Batman. Not gonna get into that right now. But the fighter and the machinist, like that one too, I watched like the same time. And uh, yeah, <laughs> Christian Bale's awesome. Cool. Well, yeah, no, the, the fighter, I watched them film it, and I knew the guy the movie was about, so that was kind of like... <laughs> oh, that's awesome. He's from Lowell, and that's where I went to college, so everybody knew him. You know, he was always around. And they, they filmed a lot of it in Lowell, too, which was really cool. Um, so 2011, Hugo Drive, The Adventures of Tintin, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and Captain America, The First Avenger. Uh-huh. Okay, I know Captain America and Rise both made it on like the top five of that year for yep. me because those are both incredible movies especially rise yep also tintin's great <laughs> yeah and you guys have heard my thoughts on tintin from our spielberg smackdown so that was cool speaking of that i name dropped um you guys and the spielberg smackdown on the school of movies episode i was on that just came out today oh i need to listen to that oh <laughs> we we did so jaws touched. We did Jaws. And, I, did, oh my I didn't God. see that. Yeah, <laughs> they I, they are the most wonderful human beings. Uh, I, I love the two of them so much, and I I can't believe they actually wanted me on their show. Did you mention that it was our? I mean, I hate to say it this way. Did you mention it was our runner-up for for Spielberg like quintessential movie? <laughs> well, I I didn't get into that because I was too busy gushing about how much I love the movie. But but I because because it was at the beginning he was talking about how I know everyone out there would like us to do a whole year of Spielberg films and just go through them all. And if that person really thinks that we'd be willing to do that, they they are probably Steven Spielberg in disguise. And I said, well, that person is me. So if I'm Steven Spielberg, go for it. And I said, we did a Spielberg smackdown and it was exhausting. <laughs> Yeah, I recently yeah, had a conversation awesome. with my dad about that because, you know, he, he listens to the podcast occasionally. I don't know if he's gotten that one. And he's a huge Spielberg fan, but we talked about how we came to that decision and, you know, what is the most quintessential one. And he agreed. Like, yeah, you know, because he loves Indiana Jones, but it's not his big one. He's a huge Schindler's List because my dad, Holocaust, whatever. But he agreed. So, we all were so hurt to have to remove Schindler's List. I, I remember that. But he agreed with our reasoning of Schindler's List is not a movie you can sit down and watch. Schindler's List is like, all right, I got my happy place lined up. I got a good movie afterwards. I got a bowl of ice cream. I'm going to get through this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Anyway, so, uh, so, 2012? So, 
Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, I want to get so Argo, the Avengers, Lincoln, Chronicle, and Pirates Band of Misfits. Hey, I'm just glad Chronicle's there. I find myself having to defend Chronicle far more often than I think I should. Yeah. Well, to be fair, the director kind of well yeah. director aside, most of the time people are like, oh, found footage, automatically bad. I was like, okay, you're not necessarily wrong, but Chronicle's like the best way you can do that. Anyway. It is the exception that proves the rule. It, it's true. Um, 2013, The World's End, <clears throat> Iron Man 3, The Conjuring, Saving Mr. Banks, and Pacific Rim. A lot of crossover there except for Iron Man 3. Mm-hmm. Um, 2014, Lego Movie, Birdman, Grand Budapest Hotel, Whiplash, and Guardians of the Galaxy. Only disappointed to not hear Nightcrawler. <laughs> oh, Nightcrawler oh, was... A, it, Nightcrawler. It's so close, dude. Nightcrawler is such an incredible movie, but that was my those number other one movies. movie. That was my number one movie that year. So <laughs> wow. So so you know again these are these are favorites versus what I think the be- are the best. Like if I had to go like best movies, uh, Budapest no, and no, Guardians. Okay. No no no. There's but no I'm, such thing as objective. There's, but you can try. But yeah, but I Night, totally Night, get Nightcrawler is a better movie than all the movies on that list. I just happen to like those ones better. Is um, so 2015. Um, the entire internet standing behind me, Mad Max Fury Road. That was um, my favorite. Yep. Inside Out, Star Wars The Force Awakens, Creed, and Crimson Peak. Yes. Um, Peak. 2016. I never actually seen Crimson Peak, but you need look. to see Crimson Peak. Crimson Peak is a masterpiece. <laughs> and no one likes it. Didn't we talk uh, about that with Lon on our episode of Gone But Not Forgotten? Probably. He, he talks about I, I think, Crimson Peak a lot. I think he talked about Crimson Peak, and we're like, yeah, that is a brilliant movie that we did not appreciate when it came out. It just, it, it's, it's an advertising problem. Oh, they, yeah. They didn't, they didn't know how to market it. Not, not quality of film. Um, 2016, Arrival, Star Wars Rogue One, 10 Cloverfield Lane, Deadpool, and Hail Caesar. Because I love me some of the more hated Coen Brothers movies, and I love I, Hail Caesar. I, uh... I love Ten Cloverfield Lane, but I'm a huge fan of Mary Elizabeth Winstead in general. So yes, that was a good and, movie. We saw that in theater just together. That's Aww. true. That's the last time Ulrich and I went to the theater together. Was was the uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane? I remember that. That was yeah. You got me hooked on your stupid candy rule. Now I can't break it. <laughs> What's the candy rule? Abba Zabba. Abba no. Zabba. Best no, movie. Candy. Not, no, your candy rule is you have to have one chocolate and one fruity. Oh, that's right. Sorry, I forgot about that entirely. The idea is there are two kinds of candy, really. There's the fruit candy, and there's the non-fruit candy. So if you get just one or the other, then you're going to be like – it's like like when you, you know, drink a lot of apple cider or you're eating nothing but pizza. You need something else to break it up. They're delicious, but they're going to be more delicious when you have the variety. I completely so, yeah. agree. Now every time I go to the movie, I have, chan- I have Axel's voice in the back of my head going, well, you got some bunch of crunch, but you could use some Skittles to balance that. For me, it's usually uh, Milk Duds and Sour Patch. Milk Duds are be- are great. Milk Duds are great. The, the problem is is that uh, – and it's not a problem with them – is that they're they're such a labor-intensive candy. This is true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, 2017? Yeah, sorry. This is just a fun conversation. I didn't think this would go as well as it's going. Um, 2017, Get Out, The Last Jedi, Baby Driver, The Shape of Water, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. You know, I really wish I liked Baby Driver more because Edgar Wright is like my favorite director. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, Baby Driver didn't do it for me. I, I still haven't figured out why. I 
my buddy at work, um, Jim, I think hit the nail on the head because I came in raving about it. And he had like this reaction of just kind of like, it, it just, it, it was nothing to me. And what it turned out was I went into it, I guess, I let the technical achievement of it take me away. It's it's kind of like when like you hear a really good, like technically brilliant album, but you really just wanted to hear something entertaining. So like Do you know what I mean? A, like listening to a Rush album when I was looking for a Led Zeppelin album. Right, exactly. When when you're not really ready to sit down and consume a whole meal of something, and so it doesn't mean that like you don't like good movies or something. You know what I mean? It's just baby driver is at, at the end of the day, it's kind of a light movie in terms of themes and story. I was really taken up in just the achievement of it. And that made me love it more, but some people it didn't connect with at all. Yeah. And that's, that was me. Cause again, I love Edgar Wright's movies in general. And I sat down like super excited for baby drivers. Everyone told me, he was like, Oh yeah, great 70s music that you love. And it's Edgar Wright. And, and it's a, like a heist movie. And then I, as you said, I felt really nothing. So I'm going yeah, to think about that. I think that's, it, a, no, it's, 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 it's a film done with mostly practical effects that feels like if you don't relate to it and you don't connect, it has about as much dramatic heft as watching a cutscene in a video game. And and I don't mean that as like that's my reaction, but I've seen some people react to it that way, where they're like, "There's no impact to any of it, to them." Hmm. And you got give me something to chew on. Um, which which it doesn't change my like of it, but I get it. Um, 2018 Black Panther Into the Spider Verse, which should is basically just the top of this whole list almost for as far as favorites go. Um, Hereditary, yes. Annihilation, and Infinity War. Um. 2019 well, before, before you do 2019 yeah. um i was just telling so Ulrich and i were just talking and spider-man for the record i'll put it on any any record every record anyone who'll give me a chance to talk about it spider-man's my favorite hero he's been my favorite hero forever it's why i have a very high bar when it comes to spider-man movies and into the spider-verse is i was probably like top five favorite movies of any year yeah <laughs> I, I, I love that movie so i just wanted to put that out there no, it's it's true. It, it's it's just I said this to someone the other day on a show because Spider-Verse has a tendency to come up a lot. It it it's not just that it's a good movie. It, it's well written. Yes, it's well acted. Yes, it's all these things. But there's no movie of the last 20, 30 years that's as much of a technical film achievement. Like I, I equated it to like seeing avatar in 3d in a movie theater and going you know this movie is kind of just eh i like it but oh my god i finally get why someone would like like a 3d movie this is it this is doing it for me um i could imagine it was this first time someone saw cinemascope you know what i mean where like the screen just stretched further than your periphery um you know it's like watching an imax movie for the first time into the spider-verse is an elevation of film it's doing something else, but not just like, you know, it's not going to go up there with like Casablanca, you know, it's an elevation of the medium of like art of film, the art form. Those and guys, it, those uh, filmmakers, they, I don't know how they keep getting away with making movies that are so uh, like blatantly commercialistic and then making that not only overcoming that, but making it actually an intrinsic part of what works about it. I don't know how they keep doing it. And they succeed not only as filmmakers, but as producers, because they didn't even direct that one. 
Like that's what's so nuts is like they're breaking the mold of not only are you the creative genius because they've got Claudia with a chance of meatballs, 21 jump street, the Lego movie. But then they've also got Lego Batman. They've got this, all these things they didn't even make. <laughs> you know what I mean? That they're just there. They're the creative team. You know, it blows my mind. Um, yeah. And then it brings to this year. And since I wrote this on December 31st, 2019, I'm going to add an addendum that I'm going to say six films on this um, Avengers Endgame, Shazam, because I can't do a top five or one or two of this year without just saying how much of a surprise, a pleasant surprise Shazam was for me. Uncut Gems, The Lighthouse, Us, and because I just watched it yesterday, Jojo Rabbit. Damn right. Sorry, Jojo Rabbit is number two on my list, and it is amazing. And Ulrich hasn't seen it yet, so I'm not going to spoil it, but I'm going to say The Shoes. That was one of my favorite oh my God. things I've seen in a movie ever. Like, that got me so perfectly. My father-in-law, without, without blowing it, told me tonight that he has never seen a movie with something more devastatingly beautiful as the use of that. He said, he goes, it without any sort of horrific thing other than the use of that, you just kind of go, oh, what the fuck? Like, it just hits harder. It, it, it's it's something Spielberg would do. <laughs> you oh, know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. it's it. And, and, and another thing, because, you know, the the, you know, Nazis suck um, thing, which I completely agree with. And it comes up often on your podcast as well. There is a memeable perfection of the last scene involving Taika Waititi's Hitler in this movie. Oh, yes. That just <laughs> needs to be seen and put on constant repeat forever in my brain. It, it, it's just pure happiness. That man is a genius. You're absolutely right. And, and again, I was telling Chris before uh, this recording that I, I just saw Marriage Story a little while ago. And Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver are amazing in that. But combine that with Jojo Rabbit. And I think Scarlett Johansson, it's weird to say that I think she's like underrated because she's like the biggest actress in the world now but i feel like everyone i talk to always talks about her in broad terms of like the very commercial things she does like being black widow but those two movies to me were like proof positive that she is a master well when... she's she's right back to the the level she was at at lost in translation where you go holy shit wait a minute that's why <laughs> Her, no, her problem is that she just kind of keeps saying the wrong thing and making people hate her. And I don't hold it against her because it's like she wants an Academy Award. She wants that recognition. And she's going to go for the movies that are going to get that. And I, I think that's the majority of what the controversy has been about her. It's like she, she wants the Academy Award and she's willing to do what she has to do to get it. And that's not always good. As right. I, as a side note, and Ulrich and I talked a bit about this, Ulrich had Endgame on his list. I didn't put Endgame on my list, but not because it didn't belong on my list. In fact, if I had put it on the list, it would probably been it would definitely would have been top three. But I felt like Endgame was almost the kind of thing that like three movies I saw in 2018, Endgame, El Camino, and Steven Universe the movie were all movies I loved, but were so intrinsically tied to a huge amount of something else that I felt like they kind of belong in their own separate category. Like, That's does that fair. make any sense? That's fair. That's why Jojo Rabbit ends up being my number six, because I just didn't have another movie to put in Endgame's place. That was what, because I feel the same way. I feel Endgame is kind of the obvious one, but it's also a very important one. And n not to say much 
um, you know, I, I want to transition us into the, the point of our recording tonight. Um, but I also wanted to just say that, you know, before people listen to this, because none of us, I think, have gone on the record of saying anything about the new Star Wars movie. And I don't want to make a podcast about that and say just because it's not in our top five does not mean we don't think it's a fine movie. It's fine. It's OK. I like it. I want to move on. I don't want people to listen to this and go, see, even these guys couldn't bother to talk about it. Blarty, blarty, blar, because fandoms suck and I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, I make it. I make it really easy for anyone listening. Above Revenge of the Sith, below Return of the Jedi. Yeah, Take that's that it. That's it right there. It's that. Th- that's definitely right where it sits. Um, so yeah, moving on. So, so the point of tonight's episode, and I know you guys have done a lot of content, but some of it has been for only patrons, and I don't want to rob you know your patrons of having that exclusive thing. So I don't want to go super super in depth. But that's fair. But we'll talk about this. Any chance you give us. <laughs> yes. No, but I, I what I wanted to say was, you know, you, you guys and I, um, I think the day the Watchmen trailer broke was one night where we were recording, whether I was on your show or on mine. And we we all kind of talked about because you guys knew for me that I love the Watchmen movie. I love the Watchmen comics. And you guys have a very, 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 very important bond over the Watchmen film. <laughs> you know, so um, I wanted to say, you know let's bring ourselves back to before this Watchmen television show is aired on HBO before, you know, everybody got a chance to dig into it. Just go off of that trailer. And what was our, you know, collective, um, you know, life as far as our re- reaction and what Watchmen means to us going into it. And what did we think about the show just from that trailer? Worry. Do you know what I mean? Worry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because this is the thing about Watchmen, right? And again, I'm not going to go into the, the – because we could talk about this even forever. But Ulrich and I, a big part of our bonding is over Watchmen. And Watchmen is important for so many reasons, both personal and global. Like there's a reason why you know, it's, it's held in such high regard. Uh, but everything that's come after Watchmen that tried to like reference Watchmen or use Watchmen – has not really worked. <laughs> like the uh, all the one-shot comics that were supposed to be like pre-Watchmen didn't... I don't even know how to phrase this. It's like... They didn't work. They yeah. sucked or they didn't get the character or they diminished what they were based off. They weren't any good. I mean, I've heard the Rorschach ones are okay, but that's the highest compliment I've heard him paid is, well, it's okay. And then the the current run of um, what is it Doomsday Clock, where Watchmen is now integrated into the regular DC universe. No, yeah, so much I no. refuse to accept that. So, <laughs> but uh, the point is that Watchmen's always been really hard to touch. And yes, I we sound the same as you that we love the movie and the comic both, right? Like. I actually saw the movie before I read the comic, and and then I got the comic. But I, I love it all for separate. And I think it's funny that um, I consider Watchmen like a, almost like a Starship Troopers kind of situation, where you've got two pieces of the same story that are so opposite in so many ways, but still the same. That it's impressive. Anyway, so this trailer comes out. Watchmen is this huge deal. Everything that's kind of come after it has failed. the The first trailer looks like. It's really focusing hard on Rorschach, which I guess makes sense because he was like the most popular character in any version of it. Funny, I found out recently that Alan Moore has always considered the popularity of Rorschach proof that Watchmen failed. Whoa. Um, yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> makes a lot of sense. That's a loaded statement. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, I'm not the one making it. Alan Moore made it. And I was like, wow, that is. I... <laughs> anyway. He's not wrong, though. <laughs> 
I'm not touching it. So, so yeah, this trailer comes out. A lot of emphasis on on Rorschach and this like all this imagery of the clock, which felt like yeah, of course you're going to use the clock because this one of the most iconic images from Watchmen, but it felt very ham fisted. I mean, not ham fisted is the right word, but it felt very overt. Like nothing in the trailer indicated to me that the same level of care uh, seemingly was being applied to it. It felt very cash grabby. That's how it I did. felt. It did. It felt, it felt that way. And it felt one note. It felt like they, they got one theme from the comic and they latched onto it and said, this is what people are going to like. It, it's what I've been afraid of um, about the adaptations of the Lord of the Rings TV show, where I'm afraid that they're going to go, well, this is also a sword and sorcery epic like Game of Thrones. So let's add all of this, you know, incest and crap into The Hobbit. That'll be fun. You know, um, <laughs> and though that, 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 that that's what I'm afraid of. And, um, you know, the... Uh, the trailer definitely made it seem that way, um, you know, and, and I'd like to get into since we're starting to get into, you know, what the show was about. I'll give a spoiler alert in case anyone hasn't seen the show because it is on HBO. So it's not something everyone can see. But spoiler alert before we get into more in depth after seeing it, I get why they cut the trailer that way, because there's almost nothing you can friggin show without blowing their entire yeah. hand that they were trying to play here. <laughs> I feel like the three of us are in agreement when we say if you haven't seen this and you actually are interested or you're a fan of Watchmen, then you should go watch it. Like it is a recommended piece of, of what it is. So yes. In I think if you like good TV, you owe it to yourself to go see this. My, my point, this my point is, really is spoiler-free, we all recommend it. Yes, <laughs> and in a year of things where fandoms have been underwhelmed by expectation, I can say that this one um, does not do things that you see coming. And it, it's it's very, very, very important that you get surprised by this show because it's designed and? to surprise you. And President Obama liked this. This was like on his top five shows of the year. That's a really? presidential seal of yeah, <laughs> presidential cool. seal of approval right there. I mean, we're just three Joes on the internet. The former president liked it. So come on. So 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 the former president and the only person currently that I'll call president um was sitting in his room. Was sitting in his no no. I'm just talking about recent. Was was sitting in his room. Uh, in maybe in a living room somewhere, watching maybe with Michelle a show that has a a giant blue dildo. That um, that's that's fantastic. Oh, I wish he I could do an impersonation because that would be the perfect time, but I can't. So, <laughs> <laughs> not gonna even try that one for so many reasons. All right, well, hold on. Before um, all right, your your opinions on the trailer roughly were in line with ours, right? Do you have any other thoughts oh, yeah. on it? Uh, my initial thought was, I think we agreed to review this as a Patreon special, and my immediate thought was, oh, what the fuck did I get ourselves in, get us into? I don't want to watch this. It looks terrible. Damn it all to hell. Because I think we even announced, like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk about this. And it was just like, fuck, 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 fuck. Right. Or gets to be the sailor this time. Normally it's me. <laughs> I'm, I'm behaving myself. So, <laughs> Yar, it be driving me nuts. Um, anyway, uh, so, so, so that brings us to the show. Now, um, I, I listened to, to your guys' recordings on it, but you know, I was listening to them almost in real time as you were releasing them. Oh, but thank you. It, at what point was it for you guys that 
because this is a Damon Lindelof show, and Damon Lindelof, like J.J. Abrams and other people that he works with, has been involved in a lot of very good stuff. Unfortunately, Lindelof is unfortunately um, has the the J.J. Abrams issue um, in their group of not really knowing how to end good ideas. So I was pretty terrified that even when this started looking like it was going to be better than I expected, that it wasn't going to culminate to anything meaningful and it was going to peter out. But what was the point in which you really thought, okay, this is working? All right, I know, it... I know Oryx comes before mine, so okay. I'll let Oryx go. <laughs> uh, if you go back and you listen to our recordings, I was kind of on board from the first episode going, wow, this is really good. But I was also going, I was waiting for the other shooters. Up, like, okay, this is not going to be good all the way through. They're going to leave something unanswered. And in all fairness, we still don't know who Lube Man is. And that, that keeps me up at night. Oh, wonderful, wonderful Lube Man. Who was he? What is going on there? And I know they're saying we're not going to do a season two. They're doing a season two. It's happening. I don't know if we're going to get an episode of Lube Man's Origins, but if it's <laughs> anything like the other two origin episodes, you're going to be going, Wow, that, that really makes you think. You know, the current theory is that Lube Man is a uh, Petey. Uh, yeah, that, that, that was my immediate, like, yeah, but there's so many questions of why. Oh, by the way, from this point on, uh, the spoiler warning is now in full effect. That's the last yeah. warning you get. So, Yeah, uh, I we can talk about it without being spoilery. Yeah, well, yeah, so now... I, I was going to say, you know, it's talking about it at a high level. So where, where so obviously, you know... By the end of episode one, I, I agreed, you know, in my mind, it's like, okay, all these characters work. Like, it's obvious by episode one that, okay, these these characters fit in the Watchmen universe. But what episode was it really where you kind of went, oh, shit. Like, not only does this feel like Watchmen, but they're doing something new, and I can't believe it. I know what episode it was for me. I but... know what episode it was for me. Easy. easy. Yeah. Because here's, here's the thing. When we were doing our recordings, like Ulrich said, he came to the show's defense pretty much from the first episode. I don't know if he was fully on board just yet, but at the end of our first recording, he was like, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. My feelings on the first episode, oddly enough, were very much in line with my feelings in the first episode of Breaking Bad. And that's what I kept coming back to, because when I watched Breaking Bad, that first episode, I was like, this is good, but in a, like, uh, inhuman kind of way. Like, I don't relate to this. I don't. I feel like this is objectively good and it's not working for me, but that's my fault. Like, you know what I mean? So, so when I watched that first episode of Watchmen, the show, I was like, I feel like this is much better than it had any right to be. And yet I'm not on board. I, it still feels like work. Like I was watching it for the recording. I wasn't watching it cause I wanted to. And that feeling continued for the first four episodes where I was like, yeah, this is good, but I'm not getting into it. Then Episode five happened. Little fear of lightning. Ding, and, ding, ding. And that episode, yeah. which is all about looking glass, is they did what we just said earlier. They had failed to do previously, which is make a good standalone Watchmen story. <laughs> that look, little fear of lightning yeah. is so amazing. And I was blown away. And finally, I was like, I am now watching this because I want to. Well, and w what's amazing about Little Fear of Lightning is that I I've gone, I've watched the show through twice. Um, and the first four episodes, again, don't really, I, I won't say that they don't work. They don't really have an impact until you, they don't breathe on their own until you know where they're going. 
and they're they're mystery box episodes. They're, they're setting up the world. They're setting up the rules, and because they do spend time like introducing Adrian Veidt, but not telling you that it's Adrian Veidt, Ozymandias at the beginning. I'm even reading the descriptions on um, Wikipedia, and they intentionally say some unknown man and his servants. You know, in the first episode, because it's even though, come on, it's Jeremy Irons. Oh, we all knew, of course, but... <laughs> but it's but it's intentional. But remember, we all knew. But I'm amazed that the show did well because somebody off the street who doesn't know what Watchmen is, this is kind of like as alienating as the first season of um, uh, Westworld, right? Where it's just new thing after new thing after new confusing thing every episode. And when it finally gets to episode five, and I went, oh my god. Not only now is this cementing itself as fully getting the feel of the Watchmen universe, but a continuation of the Watchmen universe. It's going back and doing things cinematically that even the Watchmen movie that the three of us love didn't have the balls to do. They didn't see how cinematically in real life with people you could do the squid attack. And this show just does it in a five minute section of an episode. Yeah, and I would it say so awesome. episode uh, episode five is a great. Like, if you have someone's on the fence about watching this or getting into this, just show them this episode because it stands kind of on its own. Like, there's a few little things you're not so sure about, but you could show them this, and if it works for them, like, okay, now let's go back and watch the other four episodes leading up to this because it is so good and it stands on its own. It's a great character study. I mean, you can either do this one or the next one, This Magnificent Being, which, holy, just... Well, here's oh. what's interesting to me, is that um, those first four episodes, like like Chris said, they're very mystery box. They're setting up the, the pieces. Then Little Fear of Lightning happens, which is my favorite episode of the, of, of the lot. But This Extraordinary Being is just as awesome for a whole different set of reasons, followed by an almost religious awe that is okay except that the ending is, like, mind-boggling. And and then you have A God Walks Into a Bar, or A Bar, which is so good for so many reasons. I just yeah, got I the think, pun in the title. I think A God Walks Into A Bar is... Because, I actually, I heard you guys record it, and since it was so fresh, you just said A God Walks Into A, into a Bar, and I'm like, it's A Bar! Come on, guys, comment on the pun! I can't believe I didn't get that. Yeah. But I, I I think a God walks into a bar is actually the best episode of the show. Um, oh no, best objective. I, I agree. I think it's a better done piece of uh, television and a better Watchmen story. It's just that Little Fear of Lightning specifically, like what's going on with uh, Tim Blake Nelson, who is one of those actors that you always know his face because he's like in everything, and now I got to see him really flex his acting chops. He and just, is one of those chameleon actors. He just kind of disappears into a role and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe it's you. Kind of like uh, Jeff Bridges, I think. Right. When he shows up in the first four episodes, though, it took a little fear of lightning for me to go, okay. So, because the show, every episode with the first four episodes keeps getting bigger and bigger and introducing more characters and kind of giving you little tiny bits of backstory for these characters. And with him, I always go, okay, because the trailer gave me that hard push on the Rorschach imagery and with him being looking glass and having, you know, a similar funky kind of mask and everything I go, this is just, this shows Rorschach and 
Tim Blake Nelson played him great, but they kept him such a mystery for those first four episodes that I was worried that that was what the show was going to do. It's just kind of, he's going to be the new Rorschach and he's going to be the one that's got to, um, you know, uh, is he a villain or is he a good guy? And you're really not going to know. And they played with all of those themes, but in they get to episode five, you fully get where his trauma and his PTSD comes from. And then every episode after that distills and refocuses the show into this incredible character study that remember up to episode five, it hasn't really rewritten any of Watchmen's story. And there's only four episodes left. And then it blows the load of her husband is Dr. Manhattan her um the uh what's his name Louis Gossett Jr's character is the friggin um uh hooded justice it does all of these things that i i would argue that not only is this the best way of handling a beloved comic because it doesn't change any of the written word in that comic it's kind of like the dark crystal age of resistance it just adds all of this extra nuance and layer to something that you already love how better of a job could you do for making a continuation of something? We've already seen people like George Lucas try to add to his own story and kind of shit on it a little bit or contradict it. And this show just kind of goes, we love Watchmen. Here's more awesomeness and cool stuff about Watchmen. <laughs> you know, yeah, for, yeah. for the record that, that the reveal of uh, John was, I literally like, I'm, I'm not one of those kind of people who I, I get annoyed by it. Sometimes some people are like, Oh, I saw this coming. And I, even if you did, it's like, okay, but I'm, I did not see that coming at all. We were we were like hypothesizing all these things about whether they were even going to bring in Doctor Manhattan because he was going to be really expensive to do. And then about forty five seconds, I think, before I, as the viewer, was supposed to figure it out, was when I figured it out. Yeah. So that was so that was like oh, yeah, it starts oh. clicking like do, like uh, dominoes. You're like, oh wait a second. I think we even talked about like we predicted a lot of stuff, and I'm I'm very proud that we you know picked up some things. But the Dr. Manhattan one, we're like, there's no way they're going to do Dr. Manhattan. He's too powerful. He's too big. He's not going to fit in the story. And they found a way for not only him to fit and work, but be an amazing character and show growth and change to a character that we kind of thought was static, that couldn't change. Yeah. And by the he way, was immutable. I, I went back uh, two weeks ago and I reread all of Watchmen just because it had been a while since I read it. And I wanted to kind of re-familiarize myself with it. And... Something I realized is that um, a god walks into Avar, that whole episode, uh, I think it's very easy, and I made this mistake when I was watching it, to be like, oh yeah, this is a great um, continuation of what they had uh, established with how Dr. Manhattan behaves. And that's true, but it's also not true, because the comic actually kind of goes out of its way to establish that Dr. Manhattan is just seeing timelines like he literally has certain lines written like i guess a line near the end where he talks about he's trying to see into the future right so the the idea that dr manhattan is not just seeing different timelines but is experiencing them simultaneously is really more of a creation of this episode and that is such a brilliant conceit and evolution of this type of character uh that i wanted to give it proper kudos you know and i've never seen a more perfect visualization of someone trying to pull something like that off yeah especially you know? especially that moment where he's literally says to angela i'm talking to your grandfather right now and she goes can you ask him a question it's like it's such a simple narrative mechanic to to accomplish something very complicated 
But the fact that it also conveys perfectly something that the episode had been laying the groundwork for for your understanding, and then at least for me, cemented it in this moment. I, I don't know. I just I don't even have the words to talk about like how impressed I was. And, and that's that's what I mean. Like when I got to episode five, I'm like, I have I can't even tell you. Like it, it just uproots the show and kind of goes, they could do anything after this episode. And there's only four episodes left. What are they going to do? And they haven't even established that Dr. Manhattan is part of this show yet. They haven't even established how Ozymandias is going to tie in with everything. They haven't even established who Lady True is. Like, they haven't done any of this stuff. And we're already halfway through. And it was just, it was like a, it was like a jolt every episode. Like, of just like. It it never didn't feel fresh. Like even the episodes that like aren't as good as ones before it because they're just exposition or whatever else. It, it never felt like I never felt a state of ease. Like the show could just it could turn on its head and surprise me at any given moment. And I didn't expect that from it. I expected it to be very safe or just not get it. And that's the thing is Watchmen can't be safe. That's really I think without. Using those words, I think a lot of what all our fears were is that Watchmen is such an inherent – that's what the problem with those prequel comics was, is they were just playing off of what was already popular about Watchmen. They were, in essence, playing it safe. And the second you come at Watchmen from that philosophy, you are already missing entirely the point of what Watchmen is. Watchmen is a, is a comic book story about superheroes that was intrinsically about how terrible superheroes are. <laughs> And and I, I yeah, I, go ahead. Sorry, Elric. Well, yeah. And to all fairness, the press leading into this was very concerning. In like Lindelof saying, "I'm not, I'm not looking to tell a political story. I don't want to have politics in this." And everyone's oh, like, "Yeah, what a liar! What a yeah, fucking liar! You are a dirty, dirty liar." And we all said mean things about you that we have since rescinded. But everyone yeah. saw that. And we're like, okay, you have to be lying because you cannot tell Watchmen without it being political which that's, is why I love thing. I had a great Twitter change and we talked about it like this person was just saying they ruined Rorschach and I kept going but how and he said, well they just ruined him you can't just keep saying they ruined him you need to explain it well it's not how he was in the you know him the way they got him in the show is not how he was in the comic like yeah He's yeah not he in was the show. <laughs> that's also this, important but yeah this is this is exactly this is no this is exactly how Rorschach would be transferred and i understand if you were a bit upset that you as a diehard rorschach fan were meant to go wait a second i like rorschach what does that say about me but that is the most important part well not maybe the most important right one of the most important parts of watchmen is if you connect to a character if you interest in the character ask yourself why and what that says about you also and uh not to take your show in anything resembling a political direction but anyone no, who you you can't not with this dude i i accept exactly this. that's that's my point is like i'm saying that i'm trying to keep it to a minimum but it's watchmen so my my point is if you or someone out there didn't like the show and your argument is it was too political i can only surmise that you didn't read the comic which i know is a very arrogant thing to say but watchmen the comic is the most aggressively political piece of like fiction i have ever seen well it's it's also aggressively and i and i hate to use this term but it's also aggressively woke 
for a comic being written so long ago, right? Like, and Alan Moore might not want to admit to that, but it doesn't. Yeah, especially really, Alan Moore and Woke in the same it, sentence. No, 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 but but I'm, but I mean it. It doesn't really paint like Rorschach and the comedian and all of these characters. Yeah, there's there's. It, it, it's the people that don't get that Fight Club is a is a this is what you don't do. You know what I mean? Story. Um, this is, you know, you can have somebody that you relate to. You relate to their fears and what upsets them and what makes them, you know, who they are without really ha- without recognizing that that shouldn't be glorified. Right. The comedian is a rapist. He is an awful human being. He also, you know, has helped, you know, save X amount of people. Do you know what I mean? Same thing with Rorschach. Same thing with Dr. Manhattan. These are flawed, real human beings that are being written in this comic. And because of that, they have positives and negatives. And I can't believe, you know, I'm looking at it right now because I wanted to remind myself. And I know Rotten Tomatoes is a stupid thing, but it it, it, it kind of helps see the disparaging because it's like, you know, with The Last Jedi, this has a 96% critic rating, which you know, whatever that means, you know, for Rotten Tomatoes and a 53% audience score. So people were angry at this thing. A lot of Nazis. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I mean. And, and, you know, for someone to say, well, they went to Watchmen and made it, you know, a race thing. <clears throat> Have you read Watchmen? <laughs> Do yeah, you know what I mean? I saw yeah, also, that was very also, upset as someone... about uh, Hooded Justice. I'm like, I'm concerned if you're mad about them ruining Hooded Justice. Well, also, I, I also, did you did you get that many episodes in without being angry? I mean, the episode one kind of starts you out by going, "Hey, if you have a problem with this being about you know race and particularly about you know the horrible black experience in the early United States, you're going to have a problem with this show." They start right off the front with that. <laughs> you know, yeah, what I, mean, I mean, the show begins with a massacre. <laughs> so. This is like saying, you know, well, I, I really, really hoped that I would have enjoyed Schindler's List, but it was too sympathetic to Jewish people. It's like, what? what? Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> do, do, do you know what I mean? Like, um... It was a good movie, but I found it too sympathetic to the Jewish faith. It's like, oh, boy. Hmm. That's another thing I, I don't. I, I've heard this argument, like this, this idea of they made Rorschach a racist. OK, first of all, let's take the actual what Rorschach was written as and put it to the side for the moment. Let's actually look at what the show does, which is not have Rorschach in it at all, but have a group of people who use his writing as justification for their own beliefs. That doesn't make him racist, regardless of whether or not he already was. That just means that these people are shitheads, and they are using his image in a way that he may or may not have agreed with. Similarly, with the way you talk a lot about, you know, white supremacists using Mjorner and other things that are not necessarily, you know, that thing as like, and then that becomes like, well, no, no, that 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 thing means you're a white supremacist if you have that on your necklace. It's like, no, no, it doesn't. It means you're a dick. Like, get away and from me. The clan ruins everything. <laughs> no, and that that, that that's kind of, and, and I love how. And, and again, you know, is the show heavy-handed about stuff? It's heavy-handed, but it does it in such a wonderfully nuanced way. Like, and it gives it breathing room and time for it to kind of sink in. Like, hey, this is what's going on. I mean, I was always worried that Tim Blake Nelson's arc was going to be very one note. You know, I, I and was it wasn't. going to be a secret racist. It was like, oh, don't make him a racist. Don't make him a racist. Don't make him part of the clan. I mean, not clan, the uh, Seventh Calvary, which is totally not the clan, right? Yes. And just like Cyclops is totally not the clan. And 
<laughs> it's um, all about but, branding, folks. So, I remember, so, so, I remember again in our in our review of Little Fear of Lightning, Ulrich brought that up, and I was like, "If they do that, I'm going to be upset, and not in the good way." Where it's like that made me uncomfortable, and that feels interesting, like Black Mirror. No, no. <laughs> so I was also so, sure that he was dead. So I was going to say, um, you know, we're talking about all the great things about this show, and I want to go through the cast um, soon because there's some home runs in the casting of the show but before i get there you know we've we've talked a lot about what makes it great but do you guys feel my one tiniest little gripe is i almost feel like it needed one more episode well here, here's the thing um i remember saying this when we did our review of a god walks in a bar after that's that four episode sequence of just awesome from five six seven eight i i told Ulrich, all right the show you mentioned earlier, right, how J.J. Abrams and, and Lindelof have a history of not ending their ideas well. So I was like, all they need to do is land. They don't need to land well. They just need to land. That's it. Uh, episode 9 just needs to be okay, and the show is great. Yes. And and so See How They Fly is a mess. It is. But it lands. Like, in, in, the, in the metaphor, I imagine someone like landing but they didn't stick the landing they stumbled a bit but the rest of the performance was so good that it's only like yeah it's okay we can forgive you and that's how i see see how they fly it's like it's it's messy it has some things that really bug me but nothing that is a deal breaker nothing that is like the end of you know lost or something so no, of course it, it lands great it just it, it kind of reintroduces one too many new ideas after a god walks into a bar that it's like man i wish you had one more episode to flesh that out a little bit more like i almost wish we kind of had a little bit more of the you know of of the governor guy you know what I mean? Who kind of just goes yeah. from who kind of just goes from okay, he's kind of charming. He's obviously going to be a bad guy, but you know, and then he just immediately goes to yeah, I'm the head of this horrible evil organization. And then I love that they just turn him into goop. That that was awesome. Yeah, but my but I wish him and Lady True had one more episode. Yes, and it needs a little bit more world building because they have yeah. a lot of stuff they set up. It's like, well, how has Redford been president for thirty years? And how do the reparations work? What fill in the rest of the stuff? Why does Angela have a person showing up for checks? I mean, there's little things here. It's like, you know, one more episode, pad a little bit of world building, you know, maybe take some of the stuff you crammed into your finale and spread it out a bit. Just a little bit more. Just a little more more time in this world and set it up. And but I kind of feel like no, we we have the ending. Let's get there before we just go and, off and, and raise too many more. And houses. also and also, if you write the episode of God Walks Into A-Bar and you have, like, an ending figured out for your show, I it, it's not to say that the, a God Walks Into A-Bar doesn't fit with the rest of the show, because it does. It's just, just like episode five, a God Walks Into A-Bar is just, it it's above and beyond really any piece of dramatic television I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. it, no, it's, like, it, well, the reason I, I, I mentioned Breaking Bad before was because just like with this show, with Breaking Bad, it was a fistful of nothing, which is episode five, when yes. he, uh, that, that, made, that made that show work for me. And so same thing here. Once Little Fear of Lightning happened, I was on board. But, like, with Breaking Bad, Peekaboo was the episode that was, like, above and beyond, and then here it's a God Walks in A-Bar, you know? So... But uh, uh, go ahead. I was gonna say the thing with see how they fly. Like I, I'm very anti 
reviewing the sh- the the thing you wish you had versus reviewing the thing that you have because I think yes. that leads to very problematic criticism. Yes. And so I want to put that out there before I say what I'm about to say, which is one of the things that doesn't quite work for me about See How They Fly is while it ties up a lot of things, it leaves a lot of weird, as kind of Orbis putting it, a lot of weird things that seemed very obviously like they were going somewhere that don't. Example, my prediction, I'm not saying they should have went with this, but my prediction was that Lady True's solution, uh, whatever it was, was going to be based in the same kind of technology that Nostalgia was because they made such a big deal about she created it. So I had these thoughts about like, oh, maybe we'll force uh, the memories of tortured black people into like everyone in the world. And so they'll force like empathy on the people like those kind of things. But instead it's more like in episode nine, suddenly true has this plan that doesn't seem to be at all connected to what we knew about her up to that point. So that's one of those kind of like messy things I'm talking about, you know? No, absolutely. I just wanted to, you know, we, we've been, you know, doing a, an hour long podcast talking about this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I just wanted to make sure, you know, we can talk critically about stuff in it, it. Like you said, it doesn't fail. It doesn't have the lost problem. And even lost, I still really like it. Just it doesn't have that shit. We really didn't know what we were going to do. This feels like this was the ending they wanted to get to. It just feels like in the um in the journey there, they opened up a few too many character threads that were super interesting that they, I'm hoping make more show, even though I'd be fine if there was no more show, but I want more show. Like what the hell's going on with the elephants? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. What the fuck was up the elephants? I was making, uh, so I read that Lindelof's his exact thing that he was quoted as saying is that he currently doesn't have an idea good enough to warrant a season two. And you know what? Yeah, I hope that that's a true statement that he wasn't just, you know, being kind of facetious because yeah, that's a good way to a good way to think about it. Because my mind instantly went to I would love to see uh, the the main thrust of the next season could easily be what it's like for someone who doesn't just instantly get Doctor Manhattan's powers like John did, but someone who is slowly getting more and coming to grips with what their existence means as that happens. You know. Right. Yeah, and how their personal experiences affect who they are as Dr. Manhattan. Because they did a great job setting up Angela's past and traumas and everything. It's like, you would be an amazing character. And I love that he's like, listen, I don't have an idea. If somebody else does, I will get behind them. Because I think it's really cool. He went out of his way to hire a diverse writing group for this show to help him go, listen, I'm a white guy and there are certain things I don't understand. So I'm going to bring people in that understand and can tell this story. And I think if that's his approach, like I don't have one, but guess what? Lady so-and-so over here does. And I'm going to, you know, back her to the hilt because she's got an amazing idea for season two. Oh man, that's, that's totally episode six. Like this extraordinary being, I remember I was talking about it. I was like, I love this episode. I have nothing I can reasonably talk about about it though. (laughs) Yep. Oh yeah. I am a white guy who comes from a reasonable standing. Not going to touch this one. And And... that's that's the other thing that that made this show so great, right? Is it's like, it has that stuff. It has that, you know, this isn't for you, you know, stuff about it without it feeling like they needed to distill it and make it for me. 
like I can sit there and watch it and go, you know what? I'm not the target demographic for the theme that this episode is saying, but I can still respect and appreciate it. And I can't wait to see the effect it has on people that it's going to mean something to, you know, and I and I love that a show that feels like it's being made like that instead of a show of feeling like it's being made by, you know, this is going to alienate our white audience. And, you know, we really need them watching it. Totes. Totally understand. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it, it it's awesome because because on on the the opposite end of the spectrum, someone like Tyler Perry, very very seems like a really nice guy, does a lot of donation to charity and everything. He is making lowest common denominator versions of that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, like the remember, Larry the Cable Guy version of that. Yes. You know. <laughs> I remember reading. I was reading a review from uh, the AV Club about episode um, nine. See how they fly, and it was talking about. And this is one of those moments where it's like, I personally have no connection to this concept, but I can empathize and be in awe of the usage of it, which is the idea that See How They Fly starts off built around a set piece of literally white supremacy versus black love. Like, you know what I mean? And like, that's the kind of thing that while I have no real frame of reference for that, I think it's amazing and awesome to construct the opening of your final episode around such a simply beautiful idea that black love conquers white supremacy. No. And again, if that's the through line of the show, which it definitely is, then it doesn't matter how clunky of a landing that they have, they stick it, which means this show is now a historical document saying that somebody in our freaking country can make something like this. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. Now, as for uh, the actors, because you mentioned the actors, yes, like like I said, uh, Tim Blake Nelson for me is is MVP. I want to give it to Jeremy Irons just because Jeremy Irons, but I I think Tim Blake Nelson and um oh his name's escaping me right now the uh, guy who actually plays John. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna try and pronounce his name. He has a really cool name. Yes, it's, I'm go- I'm going to attempt to pronounce it because I have it in front of me. It's Yahya Abdul Mateen the second. Yeah, he kills it. Even even before he's John, there's a scene, I don't remember which episode it's in, but where um, one of their kids asks them about their uncle being dead, essentially, and and John, uh, in that form before he knows he's John, he responds to them in, um, there's a thing that happens in old television a lot, where you have a child asking about death, and a parent will basically give them a very reasonable... Uh, empathetic talking about like God or heaven or some sort of afterlife. This is that version uh, or a version of that for secularity where he gives a very reasoned but understandable and very empathetic to he's talking to a child um, conversation about what death is. Yeah. And that's what I mean. This show has so many little moments like that for almost every main character. And and you talked about you want to give Jeremy Irons credit. The best thing they did on this was stick Jeremy Irons somewhere else. So he has his own story with his own set of rules in its own alien place going on because that allows Jeremy Irons to be as weird and campy and amazing as Jeremy Irons wants to be. But it lets our yep. main story be as dramatic and as serious as it ended up being without I those honestly things fighting each other. wasn't sure if that was going to work at first. It's like, this is interesting, but 
there's more interesting stuff. I feel like there's like the story on Earth was more interesting, but that kept evolving. It's like, okay, I'm here for just Jeremy Irons' performance in this weird place, even if it never comes back to the mainstream. Yeah. This is just so interesting. And it's, I didn't realize we don't see a lot of Jeremy Irons anymore. And when he's good, he's really good. And I love his whole reason for wanting to come back. It had nothing to do with wanting to protect or help anyone. It's just, I'm bored without all of your bullshit. Oh, <laughs> you know what and I mean? The, the best line, his line in the show, why did you give me a mask? Mask makes men cruel. Which, yep. if that's not a metaphor for the internet, I don't know what is. Oh my god, that was so badass. I mean, uh, like, I also love the idea that he's he has to create a adversary to keep himself sane. And um, there's a great, we talk about this, how him and Dr. Manhattan are, are such great uh, parallels to each other, where literally you've got one who is uh, has truly the power of the god, but no humanity, so they have no care for, or feeling of responsibility or need. The other is a human who sees themselves kind of as a god, and without the need to be needed, feels hollow and empty. Yep. I love it. <laughs> oh, I so love that good. line. That feller talks too much. <laughs> yes, wonderful. Also, Laurie Blake. I, I don't again. I don't have the actress's name in front of me. Gene but, Smart. Gene Smart. Thank you. But that is such a like. I didn't realize. Uh, I never thought about what is Laurie Blake after she becomes Laurie Blake instead of Laurie Jupiter. Like, what does that mean? What is what is the comedian? And seeing a grizzled over this shit version of Laurie Blake. It, she's perfect except for one line. <laughs> So again, yeah, I'm capable, we, we I'm capable of criticizing the, the show. The the line when she's first talking with Angela in the crypt and she says like, you know, she's talking about people who wear masks and people who hide, uh, like have secret rooms in their closet. It's all really well. And then she just says, I eat people like that for breakfast. And it just yep. killed yeah. the, everything yep. about the scene. No, it's, al- it's almost like the actress just had the, just really wanted to say that. <laughs> You know what I mean? It could be. But the one thing she made me realize was Silk Spectre is really an underwritten character in the original comic. And it made me realize, like, wow, they kind of, you know, they didn't have a lot to go from. And they made a really compelling, great character that you just, you love. She's that kind of, you know, acid-tongued aunt that gives you shit, but, you know, will always be there for you. And the the, the fact that the show holds back from it could have like made a whole subplot of the second half be like, okay, now there's a love triangle thing going on because, you know, we've revealed that Dr. Manhattan is now with Angela and his and is married to her. Do you know what I mean? And we've established that, you know, Lori Blake is still, you know, in love with Dr. Manhattan. Do you know what I mean? She's going to the booths and leaving him messages, you know, as, and so they could have made that be like the whole dramatic through line of the second half. And instead there's like a level of like accepted respect about it. It's going to be, while while I do totally agree with you, well, I do totally agree with you. I do feel like that was another thing about see how they fly that bugged me a little bit where it's like, I don't, I don't expect anything big, but Dr. Manhattan and Silk Spectre are, well, Lori Blake, are both very important parts of each other's lives, and we don't get a scene with them, like, really this at all. This is true. This is true. Yeah, and I, I don't need much. I just would would have liked to have a little bit where they could just talk to each other. Basically, they shared, like, two words, and that was it. And I, I get that it's because the show wanted to put focus on John's relationship with Angela, but it just felt like you you put 
her in the same space as him, and then you didn't... This, again, if there was another episode worth of time, would have been the perfect kind of thing to do with that, but... Yes. And then, you know, there's there's an entire... Oh, go, go ahead, Ulrich, sorry. There's just, like... It's not like she's a small part of his story. She's the reason he comes back to Earth in the first place. Yep. So just to not even address anything... And I feel like the, they, they wanted, like, you know what? I only have an idea for season one, but here's some seeds for season two if somebody wants to take it up afterwards. But now we're kind of the point, it's like, well, how do you do that conversation now? Because it's something that needs to happen. I She, they are a huge part. This is kind of like if you had Rorschach and Night Owl in the same room again. There's a lot to be said. There was, you know, conversations that would need to be had. And you just can't hand wave it away. You, you, and 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 I and I I definitely agree with that. But my reading and what this could just be a reading that I'm making up in my head, you know, is that she kind of accepted that he, at least the he that she was in love with, was gone a long time ago, and she got to say everything she wanted to say into those recording booths. So to her, it's almost like a silent acceptance of you know what I'm just happy that he's here. And I'm not saying that the show earns that. I'm just saying that's that's the the view I like to take on it. I 100% agree. I think that's what I said in our review. But it's one of those things that's like one more episode. You have stuff you could have done one more episode with. And here's another thing I'll say about that. And now normally, I I have a friend who's a close friend of mine who's a uh, was a has a degree in theater, whatever that means <laughs> although he's actually a really good dm because he can put on different like roles and stuff but well, then that's why he has his degree in theater god damn it <laughs> all right no, i'm just kidding but around. point <laughs> is uh, a problem i have with him when it comes to criticizing movies is that if someone is appears to be dead or near dead and then they're not it's like an instant kills the movie for him i remember having an argument with him about guardians of the galaxy because of this which is an amazing movie but he was like oh death is meaningless anyway my reason to bring this up is I feel he like, must have loved Infinity War then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like if season two gets made and Dr. Manhattan isn't actually dead, I feel like enough seeds were planted that that doesn't bother me. Like his, his death scene is really good and impactful, but at the same time, we've got a couple things going on here. One, an uh, important part of Dr. Manhattan's whole thing is that when uh, when – Osmandius blew him up. He literally was like, the first thing I learned how to do was put myself back together. Second, his destruction in this was actually being sucked into a device. Uh, third, the device didn't do anything with his power, so as far as I'm concerned, he's basically just trapped in there. Fourth, the, a god walks into Abar establishes very, very, like, truly that his ability to experience all time is still contained to his perspective. He doesn't see other people's future and past or experience their future and past the only experience is his own his, future and past yeah his so his living it yeah exactly and he was aware that angela uh or that the pool was going to be important meaning that somehow his existence is tied to the moment where angela steps on the pool whether his existence is part of the egg or something like that is another question but the point is that establishes that he is still somehow existing at that point quote-unquote after his destruction you know what i mean well and, and since this i'm able to transfer my power quote unquote 
into an object, which means it could be inherited by someone else. Since that's a new thing, and since this is fantasy and fiction, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that he doesn't come with that. Do you know what I mean? Which could be a whole another interesting story if, like, now he and Angela share an essence. Yep. So, which which means that then that conversation with Gene Smart happens with Angela. <laughs> which would be Angela and John simultaneously, uh-huh. and also uh-huh. neither one. So exactly. So so that's what I mean. I I want to see a season two from somebody, but I also don't need it immediately. I could wait twenty years for it. Do you know what I mean? Like that's that's kind of how I feel yeah. about this. Um, but you know, we'll just go to the top of the list. Regina King is you know just a freaking powerhouse. I mean, I, she's almost so good in this show that you forget because everyone else you're worried about if they're going to be good or not, but you almost forget how good she is, you know? Oh, totally. Especially because in the, uh, it was weird for me with Regina King because in the first episode, I feel like she dominated so well, even though I said I wasn't that into it. I thought her whole thing about like, Oh, I've already got a white supremacist in the trunk of my car. Yes. was was hilarious. And then, then she kind of takes more of a back seat for a while because the show's got a lot of ambition but when it comes time to do uh an almost religious awe like we get a lot more meat with her as a we that's when we really to see her trauma see where she came from see how she reacts to different kinds of things now and it's a really great job she's doing so and and then you have lewis gossett jr holy shit We'll yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I yeah, no. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah. Know how, you know how hard it is to make someone who's supposed to be like 104 and in a wheelchair see still seem like they could kill you with their hands. Oh my god! <laughs> like, imagine if that's how Billy D. Williams had played Lando. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> no, I saw him. Um, my men immediately went to. If I were casting the American God series, he's Mister Nancy. Oh my God, you're a hundred percent right. Yeah, and that and they they stick. Will I mean I I loved the for for not that I ever I J J Abrams and Damon Lindelof's mystery boxing stuff is always intriguing, even if sometimes it drops away quickly. But the way Will showed up as a mystery box at the end of the you know those first episodes and the way he remains such a mystery for a while. He just plays it so well. I'm the guy that hung your uh, your chief of police. You're like, what the fuck? He's in a wheelchair. He has this great man on a mission. Don't get in his fucking way. Vibe. And then and it's the intimidating because shoulder... like, you're a little old man in a wheelchair, and yet I feel like you would beat my ass. Well, also here's a thing me and Ulrich both discussed. Uh, Ulrich hadn't thought of it at first, but it, the thought crossed my mind that. A big part of Hooded Justice in the original comic is that everyone describes him as like the biggest man, and that they come across, which is why people thought he was a, a you know a, a professional muscle man. The this guy, the young version of Will Reeves, is not very big, but his outfit is so intimidating. He's such a brutal fighter, and then Ulrich said, "Yeah, of course, if you got beaten up in an alley, you're going to be like, oh, he was you know seven foot tall." And- <laughs> So I totally buy it. You're gonna lie your ass off. You know what's another he thing? He was I seven l- feet tall and shot fireballs from his eyes. <laughs> the the other thing I love about their their use of old footage, um, especially of, of the Watchmen days and of Hooded Justice being like that overly dramatized TV show, is that if you notice that TV show is filmed and paced like a Zack Snyder movie. 
and I loved that yes. little like, yep. yes, like I love and, and and I liked that because I love Zack Snyder's version of Watchmen, but I also love that this show almost exists in a world where that could also be a movie too. You My know, personal read on oh, that. Yeah, was I never thought about that. Cat. Yeah, Snyder going. I I'm not here to discredit what you did. I liked what you did. I'm going to put it in my show and kind of tie it into the whole narrative. And I love that about it. And I love that that also ties into Snyder's additional opening credit sequence of his Watchmen film that has all this which, by the way, stuff. Is, is my favorite opening credits of any movie. Yeah, I will argue no, it's one of the best opening scenes of a movie ever. It's it's untouchable, actually. <laughs> I, I don't think anything will surpass it. Like, I know I've talked to people that don't like that movie, but they're like, yeah, that opening is fucking dope. When they cut to the shot of the the comedian being the one that shot JFK from the grassy knoll, I stood up in the theater and started applauding. And I'm like, this movie could suck after this, and I don't care because that is genius. And So you like, were the asshole that ruined that screening for me. You weren't. <laughs> you didn't go see it here, you jerk. Motherfuckers standing up in the middle. Sit down. They can't see you. I don't care. Uh, I, I I love that. It's funny because um, we might be biased, but uh, Ulrich and I have gone on record many times as saying that while we think Zack Snyder was a bad choice for some movies, we defend that he is a uh, an idiosyncratic and important director. Yep. And him as the choice for Watchmen, I still think, even though he came at it from a completely philosophically opposite standpoint than Alan Moore did... I still think that that was a, a brilliant decision. So, yeah, and it's it's the best visual. And again, his visuals are usually pretty spot on, except for a couple movies. But that's the most visually, just like dialed in he's ever been. <laughs> you know, the that was a labor of love. That damn movie. That's yeah, someone. Hands down, that, I will say that is his best movie. Yeah. Of course, and and I and I love his remake of Dawn of the Dead as well. I'll I'll still go down yep. as that being one of the best horror remakes ever done. Um, All right, yeah. so so uh, back to the show real quick. I feel like yeah, um, I I, I kind of ragged on how Hong, uh, Lady True's plan doesn't really work for me at the end, but I will say her intro sequence with the the the, the couple in the farmhouse yeah. uh, was so good, and I I called right that as like. She's related to Vite. Yeah. <laughs> like and, that's and she was she was a perfect example of a casting choice that just elevated any sort of shortcomings in the material that they gave her. Cause she was she was just so she commanded every scene she was in. Oh yeah. I and I love uh it totally makes sense, but I love Vite's whole thing of like anyone who actively seeks the power of Dr. Manhattan is the exact person who shouldn't have the power of Dr. Manhattan. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, so um, f- final thoughts on Watchmen the show, because um, it's getting late for me, but I want to make sure we all get that. Uh, is there anybody else from the cast that you guys... I mean, Red Scare I had a blast with, even though he's pretty one-note. Um, I want to know more about who he is. Like, I want them to explore all the other costumed heroes. Like, my thought was, if you want to do a second season, maybe just do a different state and do a different set of heroes tackling a different issue. And then you can leave the ambiguity of the Dr. Manhattan just go, and now we're over here with, and we're in, I don't know, let's pick a random state, Nevada. What do superheroes in Nevada look like? Yeah. Now, here, here's one I'll give, and uh, I have very personal reasons for this, but I do think she did a great job. Frances Fisher, 
who plays Jane Crawford. Now, here's the thing about Frances Fisher. I saw her, and I don't know if I told you this, Chris. I probably have. I am a tremendous fan of Christopher Titus, particularly Mm -hmm. his show Titus. I love Titus. Frances Fisher played his insane mother for like two or two seasons. Yes, she did. So I saw her. I was like, oh, it's Mrs. Titus. She's going to come at someone with an axe. And while she didn't come at someone with an axe, she did have a great moment where Laurie Blake's doing the whole like, oh, I've, you know, I've deduced all these things. And she's like, so we're going to keep on talking or should I just press this button now? Oh, I <laughs> so. love that. And and by the way, I'm evil, itch, rich, white money lady right now. And I have a fucking trap door. Bye. Because, of course, you yeah. do. And then, and then she gets to do it again, too, when it comes to the ending. Lady True's like, I'm going to kill you all and I'm going to monologue first. And she's like, stop monologuing. Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> she no, was the was only great... one of Cyclops who was like, I don't want to hear this bull. Just kill me if you're going to do it. And, and <laughs> it she... was a great character moment. Yeah, because she's yeah. just like, she's she gives us like, she knows she's lost. And she's like, well, this fucking sucks, but I'm not going to cry about it. And it's like, you are an evil, terrible person. But you have this, it makes sense that you would rise this high because you have zero bullshit. You're just like, this is what we're doing and we're going to do it. We've lost. We can't do anything about it. Oh, well. Amazing. She, she was incredible. So, so Watchmen, the TV show, something we were apprehensive about ends up being, I'd say, one of the best things I've watched on TV in 10 years. I will argue it's the Same. best TV show this year. And there's a yeah. lot of good TV this year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I adored The Witcher, but no. <laughs> yeah, yeah the... no, Witcher is good, but th- this is on a whole nother level. Yep. So, yeah. So, so, so th- this, this went well. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, well, so, I told so, you, so... we will take any excuse to talk Watchmen. Like, there, I ain't even going to talk about how, like, I think Jackie or Haley's interpretation of Rorschach in the movie is such an interesting and different entirely from the comic. And anyway, point is, I could go forever. No, and, <laughs> yeah, and, and, we, we, and, we did a whole special on Watchmen. And I that could have gone on for five hours at least. I know. Uh, but 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 this guy needs to go to bed. So, so now is where I give you guys the chance, even though people know you very well that know my show and they know me very well if they know your show. I'll give you guys a chance to plug whatever the hell you want right now. Arik, you're better at this than I am. Yeah, I'll take this opportunity. Yeah, so if this is your first time tuning into Chris's show, congratulations. You came on one of the best episodes you could have because uh, we're here. I would uh, argue the best. That's ego. <laughs> I let it go. <laughs> uh, yeah, so if you've enjoyed what we're talking about or, like Chris said, the darkest timeline has you down, check out our podcast, Geeks with Shields. You can find us at pretty much anywhere, be it Twitter, Facebook, what have you by typing in Geeks with Shields. Every week we do a podcast where we talk geeky, nerdy things, just to try and help you take a step back from the literal burning wasteland that the world has become for at least an hour, sometimes more, to just enjoy it and go, oh, wow, that was fun. As a side note, that's actually why uh, The Irishman was only 10 on my list of movies of the year, because while it was good, I was like, this is making me depressed. I want it to be not depressed because of the world makes me depressed. So, sorry, side note. <laughs> so, yeah, um, two, two of the very best friends I've made that I haven't met, you, you guys right there. We, I, we, we, will, we will make it happen. And I have to say, like, the Ulrich deciding to reach out to you on, on Twitter, like, I don't, I'm just so happy you did because I love chatting with you, man. Oh, I love yeah, that was a, 
this is not how I expected this to play out. Oh, I'm I'm glad. Um, and I love chatting with you guys. I, I will say, you know, as a funny ending note, you know, I've been getting the strangest without going into detail on it after that whole mess that I got myself into with the uh, um, people on the internet that don't like my brother very much. It's yes. The hell site. Do you know what's, you know, what's been happening to me recently is I've been getting a whole lot of private messages from people that have been seeing my, um, my posts about financial troubles and getting the Patreon numbers up, which thank everyone on my Patreon, especially people that have come here because of, these two gentlemen and make sure that you're contributing to their Patreon as well. Patreon.com slash geeks with shields. Um, but I hit my $350 milestone. So someone's winning that damn sweatshirt. Badass. So, yeah. The signed um, blockbuster Ben sweatshirt, but I've been getting messages, direct messages from people. And I, what I, I like the sentiment, but what I don't understand is how they think that any of this is going to get through to me in a positive light. If they begin their message with, you know, your brother's a pretty shitty human being. This is literally how they start their messages. But you what? but you seem but you seem like an all right guy, so whatever help I can be with your financial troubles, just let me know. And I go, How is the that is a lead off gonna make me want to take you seriously at all? <laughs> you know? I may I, I, have I, my problems with your brother, but I would not describe him as a shitty human being. Right. And you guys have had him on your damn show. It's not like you brought him on there to dunk on him. But you even know? even if you did think of him that way, that's not that's like such a messy way to write a message to you. Like, and I will tell he's you, your is... brother. How do you think that's going to come up? Like, yeah, I hate your brother, but you're all right. And it is no. <laughs> Don't less... you know, Chris and Bob hate each other. They only do the tangent for money. It is no less than twenty messages deep now from different people that have sent me that same sentiment, and it cracks me up because it's like I run a show with this gentleman. Not only you is need to monetize. Brother... So you you need to make it a whole. Hey, you want to dunk on movie Bob? Give me a dollar. Well, what what the funniest thing about it is, what do they think they're gonna gain? Like some inside information? Like I don't, I, I just don't get it. And, Dude, and it's, you, you it's, gotta monetize this. Just like, hey, for every dollar, I'll tell you a secret about movie Bob. Want to know a secret? He really likes He Man. Shh. He's <laughs> he's way into Godzilla. I know how freaking nerdy is that. <laughs> it, it, it's just so ridiculous because it's like it's just because I choose to be like a nice guy, no, and like not necessarily get into as much of that stuff as he does. That all of a sudden they assume that I don't believe the same things as him. It, it really cracks me up. Like I also hate that you're a Nazi guy that doesn't like that my brother thinks you're a Nazi. You got to monetize this. <laughs> if you're gonna rip them off, take money from Nazis. The less yeah, money why, they have, the better. That's why Ulrich and I, like, even though we keep our show non-political, we always take time to say "fuck Nazis." Pardon my friend. Yeah, and that, when we make merchandise, that, that is going to be on the first T-shirt. And that is why Ulrich has to see Jojo Rabbit. Yes, yeah. oh, that yes, many other reasons. Uh, Taika Waititi is like my top ten directors. Yeah, but especially that you got to trust both of us. Particularly, particularly the line "fuck Nazis." You have yes. to see this movie. <laughs> let's and, just and if, we, and, and if we leave the episode on saying everyone go see Jojo Rabbit, I'm happy with that. <laughs> yeah, let's let's do that. Thank you guys so much for shooting the shit with Chippa. Um, you are honestly uh, uh, two of the best friends that I've made in recent time, and I can't wait. To Thank you for more having stuff us, with you guys. man. And yeah, totally. We'd love, uh, you know, you're welcome on our show anytime. And if you ever want us on your show again for something else, just tell us what it is. 